0: Welcome to The Friday Habit with Benjamin Manley and Mark Labriola II. The Friday Habit is for creators, entrepreneurs, and agency owners looking for actionable ideas on how to grow their business and be more profitable. We'll pull from our combined knowledge of over 20 years and interview thought leaders that will inspire you and give you the motivation you need to kick your business into high gear. Buckle up. It's Friday. Hey, it's Friday. It's Friday. <laughs> yeah. Welcome we, to Friday Haven.
1: <laughs> we have a guest with us who we'll introduce in just a minute. We
0: do have a guest. I'm, I'm really excited um, to announce her. But hey, before we get into that, do we have any reviews, Ben? Yes, we do have a
1: review. Um, we actually have a review. So this is interesting. It's the first time on our show this has happened. But we actually have an updated review from a past reviewer. They, they didn't write us
0: a new oh. review. They updated their existing review. Which is, uh oh, like they got tired of listening to us. I mean, and they're like, I said five stars, but <laughs> I really mean four <laughs> now. On oh,
2: further reflection, I don't like you guys at all.
0: <laughs> That's exactly. Terrible. We'll
1: see. Let's see what it says here. So, this is from, I don't know if you remember, we got a review from Kodiak Black House previously. Okay. And uh, so, this is updated, uh, new title, new content in here. So, Friday Habit for Breakfast, comma greatness by lunch which i love oh. i think that should be a t-shirt we need to put, put it I on the list for permission <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly uh and then uh they said i can't believe this hidden gem hasn't blown up yet the friday habit has helped me change the voice inside my head and in turn the voice i share with others happier healthier friday habit
0: er. absolute gold okay. i think that's another t-shirt <laughs> happier healthier <laughs> friday habit <laughs> exactly. So thank you, Kodiak Blackhouse,
1: for your updated review. Uh, appreciate that.
0: Yeah. And, you know, if you're enjoying this podcast, uh, head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to your uh, podcast and subscribe, leave us a review and uh, a rating, like a five star rating would be good. So uh, go ahead and do that. But hey, without further ado, I'm excited to introduce our guest today, Claire Chandler. Uh, she has worked with many diverse startups and corporations over the last 25 years and has seen the most uh, that most companies fall apart once they start to scale. Uh, and so as a solution to this, a business time bomb, as she calls it, she created the Whirlpool Effect, a revolutionary <laughs> way to align your leaders and teams around a unifying vision that attracts, retains, and motivates the right talent to achieve your mission. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Ben. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah. Well, hey, um, tell us about the Whirlpool effect. What is that? I mean, it sounds like something super fun.
1: <laughs> I I Googled the Whirlpool effect and it's it's a uh it's a filter on uh on uh Snapchat or TikTok. So Oh, uh,
2: see? I got that, it. I that's what it down. is, right? <laughs> yeah, so that's so that's the immediate uh homework assignment for everybody is go to download the whirlpool effect filter. Um I would love to get royalties for that. See, I didn't trademark this. Um, so to answer your kidding. question, yeah. So so the whirlpool effect, the, the phrase came out of. And and Mark, I love the fact that instinctively you said that sounds fun, um, which is absolutely the the goal, right? So um, the whirlpool effect is actually uh, some nostalgia on my part when I was writing the the book uh, of that name. Um, I was trying to come up with an analogy for what leadership really should look like. And I just kind of had this flashback to, you know, summers growing up in New Jersey. They're, they're very hot. And uh, you know, I don't know about where you guys grew up, but the most popular kid on the block for me was the one who had the swimming pool in the backyard. Right. Nobody ever hung out at mm. my house. We always went to the, <laughs> you know, to the kid down the street who had the swimming pool. Right. Um, yes. And so you'd go there on a hot summer day and everybody's splashing around, having fun, you're making, you know, playing Marco Polo and all that other stuff. And invariably, during that afternoon, somebody would say whirlpool. And all of us immediately knew what that meant. It meant stop what you're doing. Didn't matter who was going to lead, but just start trotting in a circle in the same direction. And then after a couple of laps, you could pick up your feet and get carried along with the flow, right? This was simple. This was the land before Game Boys and, you know, virtual reality and all that. Like We had to literally literally (laughs) manufacture our fun right <laughs> um but it was so cool i don't know if you guys like did that when you, yes like, oh 100%. yeah 100
0: yeah. right That's so right. like
2: yeah. so when i when i say that and i start to kind of describe that i get you know the the big smiles on the faces like you guys just had um and so when i was thinking about that i'm like there was never a time when some kids said whirlpool and the rest of us looked at them like what the hell are you talking about like that never that never happened right because we knew instinctively what that meant, how we contribute to it, and how much fun it was going to be you know, to get that result. And so as I thought about that, I said, you know, that's what real leadership is supposed to look like. You're mm. supposed to be able to stand up in front of your people or in the midst of them and convey a very simple message, which they immediately get, embrace, enthusiastically contribute to, and join in celebrating the positive results that come from that. Um, so that's what the, the phrase, the whirlpool effect is about. Um, and that really kind of became a guide for me in working with leaders to help them achieve that in their business.
0: Yeah. And so what are some of the things that a leader needs to start to focus on in order to to get that? Because I mean, I love that idea of like, like you said, no one when someone yells whirlpool, right? No one says, why would I follow that person or whatever? Like right. everyone just jumps in. Exactly. They jump in and do that. Um, and so I guess what are like, where do we start, you know, as, as leaders, where do we start, um, to get to a place where we can do that?
2: Yeah. Um, it, the, the first step, you know, it, it's funny, all the, all the steps in the the framework and the approach I use on the surface are very simple but of course if they were simple to implement right it's sort of the simple but not not easy the first step in in with any company that i work with um and especially at the you know the highest leadership level is clarity and again that sounds very simple and what i mean by that is in business terms getting crystal crystal clear on your mission Simon Sinek would say on your why, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but once you really understand what you are in business to achieve and why that matters, you're about eighty percent of the way there to building a very strong business. So from a from a business side, that's what clarity. That's where clarity starts, and that is foundational to anything else. If you if you cannot very clearly um, picture and articulate what that mission is you don't have that word whirlpool Mm. you know in in your in your hip pocket on the individual leader level clarity really is about two things it's about self-awareness so Mm -hmm. really understanding who you are what drives you how you show up how you're perceived and then the second piece to that is is authenticity right so being true to who you are um, a lot of leaders make the mistake of looking at leadership as a role that they play mm-hmm. versus, you know, truly being a guide to others. And if you, if you see that, you know, your leadership role is separate from you, you're not going to be authentic. You're not going to be genuine. You're, you're, you're going to try to emulate other people in the way they do things. And that's not unique and it doesn't, it's not natural to you know, your style mm. and your skills and your mindset. And, and your people, people can, will
0: notice. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking is like, you know, that's one of the things where I think people can sniff out inauthentic people right away, right? Like,
2: yeah. It's
0: it's so it's one of those things where I think it's important um to to be authentic and I I really I really love the way that you put that and, and I love just that idea of, you know, we have to start with ourselves as leaders first and really get down to the core of things before we can than lead other people, you know? Um, and and it's interesting because I think about, you know, as, as I'm building a company, I think about, um, you know, yeah, I can just hire people, right? I mean, I can put a job posting out there and hire somebody to fit a role, whether that's video editing or graphic design. Um, but really, for me, I, I'm trying to build a company, one that uh, I enjoy coming to every day. Uh, and then two enriches the lives of the people that work here. Right. I don't want just mindless drones that clock in and clock out and don't feel like they are invested enough to, to want to make this thing grow with me.
2: Yeah, that's right. You know, I, I always say, um, regardless of the size of the company, but especially when you're small and trying to grow, um, you want to hire for attitude and you want to train for skill and, you Mm. know, the, the roles that you just talked about, you know, are, are more technical you know, in terms of the skills that they need. So I'm not suggesting you hire somebody who has never seen a computer before, but right. all else being equal, right? That they can, they can sort of meet the minimum technical qualifications of what you want them to do. Their fit with you, their chemistry, um, you know, their ability to kind of gel with you is so critical, right? Because if you think about the most stressful parts of being a leader, it's not about building the company. It's not about, you know, signing the deal with a new client. It's people issues, right? It's, you know, this, this superstar, a player that I hired is actually a real jerk, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Or, or, you know, had this, had this laundry list of successes where they were before and here Mm -hmm. they're just absolute duds, not studs. So, you know, getting, getting the right talent is so critical. It's not about the quote unquote best talent. It's about getting the right talent.
0: Hmm. And, and, you know, one thing that you were talking about, you know, growing and, and kind of scaling, one of the things I I was curious about is, you know, what are your thoughts on like, you know, how do you grow without losing that company culture? You know, without, uh, sometimes I feel like I, I have a small team right now and I'm afraid like it'll break if we grow, you know, and like, (laughs) if I start adding more people to the bus that I won't have this enjoyable uh, place that I'm, I'm at, you know? And so, I mean, what does that look like
2: yeah um and and so the the first pivot of growth um that any company or founder faces is where you're sitting right now you have this amazing you know start of something right that is a direct expression of your personality um you know a company that founder starts is by its nature an expression of that founder's personality and it's one of the things that makes it so great and so magnetic and so attractive to people because wow here I can come and work for somebody who you know doesn't believe in balls and doesn't believe in closed doors and wants me to um is okay with me failing because we're going to fail forward, right? Where we have meetings, but they're literally like, you know, he's standing on a desk or he's standing on top of the spiral staircase. It always seems like startups in my mind always have a spiral staircase, <laughs> where, the, where the founder sta- you know, whatever. I watch a lot of movies. Um, but, you know, where, where, those, where those employee meetings or jam sessions, right, in person. Well, now you're growing. And it's also 2020, by the way, so you may not even have the luxury of, of just kind of getting everybody, you know, in the same room at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. I was just in a meeting last week with a new client. They are a, um, a s- small company, but they have, you know, they're, they're sort of at this point where they can become victims of their success or use it as an opportunity to replicate their early success because they're growing into, you know, new states. So they're not just in, you know, drivable distance. They're, you know, across the country. And literally the, the whole senior leadership team is, is, is in the room And they were having a little bit of a, um, sort of a crisis management session. And they invited me in to just kind of listen in and see, you know, what the, what the dynamic was all about. And the biggest complaint that the leaders kept coming back to was it's this, their newest location. It's at a critical point with the client where they've got to, you know, fire in all cylinders. And because they are all, you know, that, that location is staffed by entirely outsiders, um, they're having a bit of a culture clash and literally a couple of the managers in the room said, you know, when we go into a project and it's all of us who grew up in the company, which is not terribly old, we automatically get it. Why don't they get this? I don't understand. Mm -hmm. We don't understand why they don't just intuitively get the way that we do things. Um, And that is always a critical component when a startup company grows is how do we replicate the, the personality of the founder, the, um, the intimacy of that culture, the, um, you know, the, the, the feeling that I'm going to let you down if I don't contribute to creating that whirlpool effect, right? And it's much more difficult to try to replicate that with brand new people coming from the outside.
1: Hmm. That makes sense. So how do you grow people into that? You know, when people are in there, is it something like, well, here you read the manual and now you have our culture or is it taught just by, you know, like by observing, you know, is it just a matter of time that it takes or do you pick people based on certain personality traits with like a really special interview or like what are some techniques or strategies that you use?
2: Yeah, so um I kind of chuckled about the uh the 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 handbook, <laughs> but um that is right. actually a, a very important tool when it's done right. And and again it comes back to being authentic, right? Mm-hmm. You can't just have a you don't want to just put in a one size fits all employee handbook. Um, you know, it can be anything from a from a very strict these are the rules of the road to you know something like the Zappos model where it's a culture guidebook um that again is authentic to who they are. I, I, I shed a tear last week or two weeks ago when I read that Tony Shea was retiring um, as the CEO of, of, of Zappos, but he's done such a fantastic job of infusing his vision for what the culture of Zappos will always be about, um, indoctrinating that, bringing in people the right way so that they reinforce that, and literally documenting what that culture needs to look like and what it feels like and what the results of that are. Um, if you have not read the, the Zappos Culture book, that's that's a must read. You got to go pick that yeah, up. Yeah, love that um, book. Yeah, so you know it's so how do you kind of get to there? You know, it's interesting because when you when you talk about you know the the the, the clarity of mission and, and the clarity of culture, I firmly emphatically believe that the biggest impact on a company's culture is the behavior of its leaders, hmm. and You know, in in talking with this company last week, you know, I reminded them of that. And I said, listen, you know, you you guys have the the biggest impact. Culture is not grown from the bottom up. It is reinforced or or diluted from the bottom. And every time you bring in somebody and every time you tolerate behavior that runs counter to the culture that you want, every time you let problems go too long, every time you ignore conflict by telling yourself, and I've heard so many different leaders say this, well, they're adults, they're going to figure it out. I don't have to come in and intervene because I hired adults and I'm not going to referee, right? You ignore the problems, they go away. You ignore the behavior you want to see repeated, that will go away. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you have a bunch of, of leaders in a room who kind of grew up out of that, that foundational culture, the founding culture, the startup, you know, and they all get it and they say, we get it, why don't they get it? It's crystal clear to us it may only be crystal clear to that group because they've been there so long and they've literally grown up together in that company over, you know, five, 10, 15 years, whatever right. it is. It's now how do you bottle that up? And that comes back to clarity. Hmm. You, you can't just say, when well, we all get to the same room. We feel the clarity. We know the whirlpool effect. We know what we're supposed to do. It's, it's great. You have to be able to communicate that. So clarity is absolutely the first step but communication has to come out of that. And again, it has to be authentic. It has to be, you know, in, in many different forms, but it has to be consistent. Every single person who interacts with the employees, with the clients, with the customers, with the community has to not just be singing from the same songbook, but doing it in a way that is authentic to, to them and is authentic to the mission. That's the way you start to kind of bottle up that personality. But it it you know, it takes a lot of leaning your shoulder into the wheel Mm -hmm. and constantly maintaining that because people from the outside are not just going to observe your senior leadership team getting along, you know, like gangbusters and just say, Okay, well, they must be onto something, so I'm just gonna, you know, put in extra discretionary effort. They're not gonna do that. If they don't believe in your company, your culture, your mission, and where you're going to want to go, you're not going to be able to achieve that whirlpool effect.
0: Mm-hmm. You said something about like bottling up, you know, your founder's energy or whatever that is. That's one thing that I think that's, is interesting to me as well is, is, is in the way that, you know, right now, you know, I have a small team of, you know, four people. And so it's easy for me to kind of be here and, and communicate and direct things the way that I want them to go. But as you grow, how do you, cause I'm already starting to feel like, well, I can't be in every single project. I can't, you know, interact directly with every single client on every single issue. So I'm already starting to feel a little bit like, well, how do I, you know, maintain that, that energy that I originally founded this company on? How do I maintain that, um, you know, going forward?
2: Yeah, and, and you're definitely in the founder's dilemma. And I've worked with a lot of founders who kind of get to the same point where they say, you know, this, this client came on board because they want to work with me. And it's not conceited to say that. When you're a founder and you're a startup and you're in those early days, you are wearing all of those hats. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a solopreneur. So when I'm in the room with a client or a prospect, I am the business developer. I'm the person who's going to execute it at the end, but I'm also the accounting manager. Right, and yeah. it's and it's about how do you how do you wear those hats at the most appropriate time so that they don't interfere with each other. But it's also how do you infuse and infect every single person you bring on as you bring them on and as you bring them along, so that they don't walk and talk exactly like you do, but they totally get the culture and they you know metaphorically would die to defend it because you can cannot grow. And this is, you know, the other the other part that's so critical about this first growth pivot you're in. You can't grow if you continue to insist on being both the strategist, the business closer, the client relations expert, and the guy who's going to be, you know, doing the the, the operations side and fulfilling the agreement. You can't do all those things. Every founder is different, but largely the founder's kind of genius zone is on that strategy side, right, is, is being really, really true to what is your vision for the company, you know, because often that is, that is an expression, or always it's an expression of your personality. Most founders I know are really good at the strategy, really good at setting the vision, really good at building that relationship with the client, and, you know, kind of convincing them to give you their trust in addition to their money, right? The money is almost secondary. The money is just sort of the transactional piece. And most founders I know are not as good at running the business, you know, doing the back office work, Mm -hmm. evaluating people, hiring the right people, leading them effectively, setting clear performance expectations. And then when things start to go off the rails, bring them back on. I often kind of point to Elon Musk as you know this sort of superstar founder, right? I, he he's the guy that makes the rest of us look like eternal underachievers, right? The guy <laughs> founded PayPal, and then he was bored with that, so then he went out. there, I'm going to skip a couple, but you know he went out and 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 decided that the electric car was taking too long to to produce and get on the mass market. So he went and founded Tesla, and then he said, you know, that the, the space race is over, and NASA is underfunded, and the government's too bureaucratic, and I believe that. You know, we have to have a second civilization on Mars and I'm not gonna wait for anybody else to figure it out. I'm gonna go and build rockets. And I'm gonna go one step further. I'm gonna build rockets that we can reuse. Like that's great, like the guy is crazy genius. But the other thing you, you may or may not know about him is he is a terrible people leader. His people can't stand him as a person They love the guy. as a genius. They love his vision and his dreams and their opportunity to help him get those, but he's a terrible people manager and people leader. Hmm. So, you know, part of that clarity that you're, you know, you're trying to, to get to, and, and I work on with my clients and I'm not, by the way, suggesting that you're a terrible people leader or that your people think you're a jerk. (laughs) I have no idea, right? I don't really know you that well, Um, but my point in that is, We really don't know. Maybe Ben will tell me later. There's probably a chat. You could drop it in the chat. He's a total jerk, you know, whatever. Anyway, (laughs) um, my point in bringing up that story is no founder is a genius in everything. So part of getting to that clarity and that self-awareness and that authenticity is to figure out what your genius zone is and get you to the point where you play in that genius zone while building out enough of a cultural infrastructure, if you will, that every single person you bring in and you bring on and you bring along drinks the kool-aid right um but so often that phrase is 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 used in a very negative way but in this case that's what you want you want them to totally feel and get and embrace and buy into the culture you're trying to build the way that you want to um delight your clients the impact you want to make in the industry you're in, and you know that 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 Mars mission, you know whatever your version of that is.
1: So, some things that come to mind when I think about this are like, one of the things I think culture is super important for is to help people use their own judgment because you can't you can't foresee every single situation that you're going to have with a client or whatever it might be. So where culture seems to be important to me is when it comes to, okay, I'm not making decisions. I'm basically giving other people areas of responsibility. They're making those decisions and that's where culture is really important. So like for us, one of the things we've talked about on our our team is that we have two big values. One is customer experience and one is quality work. But which one trumps which? What if a client wants us to do something that doesn't look very good? You know, what do we do in that situation? So it's like, okay, customer experience for us trumps quality of work. So we know that if a client really wants it, we would just warn them and say, hey, this is not going to look good or work well, but we will do what you want because we want you to have good experience, you know, or, or okay, which one trumps like work-life balance? Does that trump quality experience? Like what if it's five o'clock and a customer is calling me at 5.30 asking for something? For us, like work-life balance is more important. So, hey, when it, when it gets off after five o'clock, you're not responsible for answering those anymore. So like, what are some, is that the type of thing that, you, that helps bottle up that founder you know, culture? Is it like a set of principles sometimes? Like, what are some practical ways you see this kind of manifest in different companies? You know, is it a set of principles? Is it training? Like, is it just observing? Like, what are some ways you see that happening?
2: Yeah. So those are great examples. And I, my, my heart is breaking a little bit for you that you've had to make some of these, you know, Sophie's choices, right. Where, where you can, where you can only either have a great customer experience or, um, you know, quality of work or only work life balance or, you know, customer fulfillment. It shouldn't ever have to be that way. And I, and I realized, you know, should is a terrible word in our vocabulary and there are no absolutes and I get all that. To me, just even in the, in the short examples you just, you just had, it reminds me of back when I was in um, my, corporate, my last corporate role. I had a Post-it note sitting right above my computer monitor, and it said, tell them why. You were talking about, you know, we're, we're, if we have to go to a client and say, you know, we don't really agree with the, the design choices you're making or what have you, but this is going to make you happy. Or you say to, you know, to an employee, you know, I'm going to ask you to do something, you know, today that you're not, you haven't done before. Most managers and leaders stop with the directive, right? They kind of end with, this is the expectation, or this is what I'm going to do. When you remember to tell them why, it literally takes an additional five to eight seconds, not talking minutes, certainly not hours, to paint that context, right? Whether it's talking to your employee talking to your client, talking to a customer, talking to your mom, like just explaining the why behind, you know, one of our, one of our um, core principles is, you know, customer experience, but one of our others is quality of work. So I really wanna talk through this with you because what you're asking for, I know you believe is going to make you happy, but you came to me for a reason. And one of the things is not just the quality of our work, but the principles that, that hold up our culture right and so kind of telling them a little bit more of the why of and therefore this is my recommendation are you always going to win those those stylistic battles with customers no because sometimes they want you know i don't know i can't even think of a design choice that's yeah. like offensive enough yeah. that you haven't already they seen. want there. papyrus
0: font it, right? okay they want papyrus font and we don't want to thank come you papyrus. right yeah. it is
2: it is a it's a pretty font i've used that before <laughs> No, uh, you, you really kind of triggered <laughs> no, something there because there there was a time when I when I had like a whole early iteration of my website and I found that font and I was so in love with it and like
1: that's great. <laughs> yeah, it's
2: terrible. Hey, it's terrible. it's
1: happened it's happened to the best of us. Even James Cameron with Avatar. I mean, he oh, used a modified bird.
0: My my tattoo, my very first tattoo I ever got. What? Was no. What? Oh yeah. No wait. I just I went on really Microsoft Paint. Happening. All right. <laughs> That's so awesome.
1: wait a second, oh, wait. So Mark, Mark just know, lifted it. up his sleeve so that's and there was know, papyrus on his arm. All right, that's it for today's episode of the Friday Habit. Uh, we will be talking with Claire uh, next week. The second half of this interview will be playing then. So if you want to catch that, just go ahead and subscribe so that you can be notified when that episode comes out. And uh, you can go to the Fridayhabit.com to find show notes for this episode. You can also find links to our websites and ways to get in touch. At the very bottom of the page, you can download our guide to the Friday Habit System, and that will show you how to set aside one full day each week dedicated to working on your business instead of in your business. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review in the Apple Podcasts app. As always, thanks for listening, and until next time, live every day like it's Friday.